Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Final hours here. OutKick 360 rolls on. 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The crew is all here as well. And every Friday at this time, we lead off the final hour with BallQuest.com and Brent Hubs and Austin Price. Today we get Austin Price is back in the house with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Austin Priceless. Right around the corner, two weeks away, less than two weeks away now, for SEC Media Days, the unofficial kickoff for what will be a fun SEC football season. Austin, good to see you as always. Great to see you guys and uh, good to be back on after being on vacation the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, you know, y'all y'all may love it because you're, you're, you're radio guys, you get on radio row and you kind of have that constant stream of of uh, coaches rolling in there for yep. basically one-on-ones. For us, nah, I, I could care less. I, if, if, they, if they never did SEC Media Days again, I wouldn't cry. How many rounds of golf did you play during this lengthy vacation? Well, how was Idaho also? Nice golf courses in Idaho? No golf, no golf. Uh, we did Yellowstone, we did the Tetons, um, you know, and then I drove down from Idaho through Idaho into Salt Lake City to uh, fly back to Knoxville. So, uh, but the Yellowstone did not disappoint. Um, you know, it was really, really good. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, that the animal experiences, guys, I equated to like that first Jurassic Park movie. Like oh this this Taposaurus and then they wait and it's not there because it's an animal and you can't predict <laughs> what an animal is going to do. That's kind of how that stuff is. You, you know, one day we watched wolves hunt a elk and then you, you know the next day you don't get anything near that cool. And then those wolves hunt you on that same day as you uh, as you go out there to watch them. Congrats uh, on surviving. Yeah, uh, survival of the fittest out there, no doubt. Um, Tennessee doesn't just plan on surviving, Chad. Uh, they plan on leading the pack. So to, to tie in the, the wolf pack analogy here, Danny White, leader of the wolf pack, uh, leader of the pack, put out a five year plan. And uh, Austin, I was really surprised. And also, I, I was, uh, it, I love seeing this from Danny White. He legitimately just put out, We want to win this many conference championships every four years, we want to win a national championship every five years in these sports. Here's what we are setting out to do. I don't know that I see things being that exact in terms of wins and losses when athletic directors, leaders of organizations put out something. It's, it's usually about the process more than end results, right? But Danny White's not shying away from expectation when he puts that out there. Uh, I don't know that it makes his, all of his coaches overly happy when they see that, but what did you make of this five-year plan from Danny White? Well, you know, I think that's great to have ambitions and have goals. And, you know, I don't know how realistic some of that stuff is. Um, you know, obviously Tennessee wants to win in every sport, right? I mean, and they've done a really nice job of being way more competitive and in winning in some cases, whether it be 
the Tennessee baseball regular season, Tennessee baseball and the SEC baseball tournament for Tennessee baseball, the SEC basketball tournament, uh, you know, tennis, you know, golf's been there uh, competing uh, at a high level for the last few years under Brennan Webb. Um, you know, a lot of the sports are trending in the right direction. Uh, soccer being another one, uh, even though they just had the, the coaching change with Coach Pinsky leaving one to uh, to Florida State. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I, I think it's more about just having Tennessee back amongst the conversation, the title conversation in every sport. And so for my for my liking, you know, I think, you know, all that stuff that, you know, they kind of laid out is important. Um, I also think NIL is important. I also think, you know, I mean, to me, you have to find a, a really steady balance of, you know, making sure your, you know, facilities are not out of date and old and corroding and not making them the Taj Mahal. Because at the end of the day, you also need um, these donors, you know, not only given to the building fund, but also to the NIL fund, because that's going on across college football. You see every day coaches, you know, pitching for their fans to give, 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 um, you know, why is that? Because it's an arms race. And right now until they adjust, if they're able to adjust in any way, I don't, there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube, but can they have some type of reform where it's, you know, you've got a cap on things. See, I think that's even hard because how do you tell one kid he can make this and another kid he can make that? Or how can you say, hey, you guys are capped at making this? I, I just think that that's really, really difficult without getting the federal government involved. And I think they've shown that they are going to have it be a free for all when it comes to this stuff. So I just think it's a happy balance. You have to find a way to do what you want to do from a facilities and an athletic department standpoint while also doing the NIL thing as well. Well, and off field with this and what Danny White said was there are issues around attendance all over sports, and it's not really getting better in a lot of places. But he pointed out that he thinks that Tennessee's an outlier when it comes to that from his time there and what he's seen with attendance figures and attendance rising in many cases in sports at Tennessee. Do you buy that? Do you think the increased attendance goals for uh, season tickets – at Neyland Stadium, is that a realistic goal for Danny White in Tennessee? I don't know why it can't be, Chad. I mean, the more you win, the more interest you're going to have. It's kind of like recruiting. You know, somebody said, "What's Tennessee's chances with Bucard, the, the the athlete out of Chattanooga?" And I said, "I mean, I think Tennessee's got it right now as good a chance as anybody." At the end of the day, if they win games, they're going to be a lot more attractive to every recruit. Um, same thing, you know, and with what you're talking about, you know the. The more, you know, you kind of have success, the more, you know, people are going to come. And whether that's in baseball, whether that's in basketball, and, and definitely in football. Football is, is always going to be the bell cow here. This is a football school. will never be anything but people can say baseball school or basketball school all they want. At the end of the day, I see the metrics on our website. Football. Small dip of it is on grander scale, um, you know, with the interest level of people. I mean, I think basketball and baseball are sports that, you know, Tennessee fans love. They love to follow. But at the end of the day, if you said, hey, would you rather have a national championship in baseball or win the SEC in football? Something tells me they'd choose the SEC in football a lot of times just because Tennessee's not been there in so long. I mean, they haven't played for it in 15 years, 2007. They've not won, a, won one in, you know, over 25. You know, the time this thing was around, be 20, 25 years since 98. So, you know, I think Tennessee fans covet and they crave and they they just have a hunger to be good in football again. 
And so if you give them a reason to, if you win some games, those season ticket sales are going to go through the roof. Austin Price, VolQuest.com, our guest. We we know and we knew going in, wherever Arch Manning landed, there would be a recruiting waterfall right after. Um, and, and so I guess what has happened at Texas is no surprise. How would you describe the recruiting waterfall after Nico's announcement for Tennessee and the effect that it's had on the recruitment process to this point? Yeah, I mean, I know the New Sentinel wrote their article today. It didn't make much sense to me. I mean, to stick with people that follow recruiting, um, at, at the end of the day, you know, you, you've got to factor in, like, who, recruit, who, who committed after Nico committed? Who visited after Nico committed? Um, you know, I mean, you can look at Caleb Herring. You can look at several of those guys that committed in the spring. Since then, even a guy like today, like Sham Umarov, the offensive lineman, talked about how Nico hit him up before his official, all the way through his official, has talked to him ever since then. You know, Nico's been working Cam Seldon for several weeks now. But everybody wants to point towards two guys, Carnell Tate and Francis Mauingoa. Well, Carnell Tate was going to be a tough boy, even if you had landed Carnell Tate. I said this a few weeks ago. Like, I think 25% chance you actually signed Carnell Tate because Ohio State was not going anywhere. And then Francis, I mean, it just comes down to, you know, I mean, he felt comfortable in Miami. And, you know, I mean, you know, NIL is always going to play an important part in this thing. And, I mean, you know, you just have to, you know, weigh what's important to you as a class, you know, um, uh, for each school does or each collective. And so, you know, I, I think when you look at, you know, what Nico's done, he got Tennessee in the game with certain guys that they probably wouldn't have been in before. Francis being one of them, um, didn't, did not, didn't, they did not land Francis, but uh, it's been, continued to be great. And if he has success on the field, his impact will be felt in future classes, fours, 25s, because kids will want to come and play with someone who's charismatic like Nico. So, um, you know, for me, I, you know, I look at what Archman did. That's good. Texas got Archman, and then the kids from Texas to commit. Stunned that Texas got Texas kids to commit. I mean, that's only been going for, what, 100 years? I mean, like most kids in that state that play for Texas, you know, or, you know, end up, you know, falling at some point to the Longhorns, um, you know, even with their recent struggles. So, you know, but most of these schools are going to have success when they get a big-time quarterback. Tennessee, Texas, look at Oregon. Oregon got several big-time commits before Dante Moore got in the boat. Um, but, you know, you know, schools are going to have success to recruit. With all this potential uh, school movement in the conference shuffling, um, we read somewhere this week, Tennessee, you know, and a lot of schools with their objections to, to this school potentially coming to their conference. We read somewhere Tennessee's big objection would be to, to UNC. Not that anybody's objection would stop anybody coming to a conference if that's what was going to happen. Do you think Tennessee would have an objection to USC? No. To UNC? No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that would be the case at all. You know, I mean, I don't think Tennessee would have any objection to anybody coming in this conference. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, like Tennessee is one of the few states that have two teams uh, from their state, that being Vanderbilt, you know, Auburn and Alabama are together, Mississippi, Mississippi State, Texas, Texas A&M. But like forever, you've always heard, you know, Florida didn't want Florida State to come in the league or South Carolina didn't want Clemson to come in the league. Um, but no, I don't think Tennessee would have any opposition. I mean, I, don't, I really don't understand that Tennessee's not recruited North Carolina hard enough the last several years, even though they should, um, you know, they've not recruited it uh, to the point where like, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's going to, you know, cut into our recruiting uh, ties in North Carolina. I mean, I, 
I've not heard that at all and would be just flabbergasted if that were the case. Well, and I, I immediately think, and it was from Swim Swam who mentioned that yesterday. It was the same report where all the four schools it's were mentioned. where you go for all your swimming yeah. and conference expansion news. Swimming and swamming. If you didn't know. Um, the, uh, the, the thing I, I think of is, okay, like they have issues, like just like Texas A&M had issues with Texas. What difference did that make? Which way did they vote when it was time to vote? Like, it, yeah, not, it's not universities matter. can have all the issues they want. If the SEC wants to add schools, I sure. think we've learned based on sure. last year, Austin, they're going to add schools. Well, you know, if I were Tennessee and, and I was going to have an issue with, you know, a school potentially coming in, it'd probably be Clemson just because you can, you know, Clemson and Tennessee touch each other a lot more from a geographical standpoint and it not being that far from the two towns than Chapel Hill in Tennessee, you know, or Virginia Tech for that matter. But I mean, I don't, I don't see Tennessee having an issue with anybody. Tennessee in recruiting yesterday and today. You mentioned Umarov today at offensive tackle. How big are these two additions offensively for the Vols yesterday and today? Well, Chad, I mean, when you look at, it, it, we'll start with Sham. I mean, you have Aiden Bustle in the boat, the kid from Mount Juliet. Now you add Sham. Tennessee's going to keep swinging at Lucas Simmons. He's going to come in on Monday somewhere. I think it's Tennessee or Florida State. Um, and, and then we'll see what happens with Stanton Ramil, the young man from Alabama. Uh, I think he'll do something later in the month. Tennessee, Michigan State, kind of the top two for him. But you needed to add more offensive linemen, but you, in particular, you need to add tackles. And that's what these next three guys are, are tackles. Yesterday, Cam Seldon, I said it on Twitter, he's a cheat code. I mean, he, he can play a little bit everywhere. He can play running back. He can play wide receiver. A lot like Debo Samuel. Um, but he's a tank, though. I mean, he's 6'1", legit 6'1", not 6'1", on paper and 5'11", really. He's a legit 6'1". But more importantly, he's 220 pounds, and he runs, you know, 10'7". You know, I mean, the kid can really move at a kid 220 pounds. State uh, – 100-meter champ in the state of Virginia. Austin, July 4th behind us, and you know what that means. It's Christmas time in the Price household. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. That's right. It's time. Let's get that tree up. Where is it? Oh, it'll be put up till October, guys. <laughs> Come <laughs> right on, Right before guys. Halloween. Right before Halloween. Although my dad, my dad just went into retirement. We want to do, we want to wish Craig a, a happy uh, retirement. Yeah. Um, and and he, he's been telling me for the last couple of weeks, he's going to have the Christmas tree up super early this year because he's in retirement and he can. So uh, I'll so be interested September. to see when he breaks out his, his Christmas tree. Yeah, it could be, could be September. I think your 4th of July gift to your dad for his retirement should be the Christmas tree that you take to his house and put up for him today, <laughs> like right now or over the weekend. I'll, I'll I'll pass. Austin and the family they love Christmas, uh, like we all do. But they they love Christmas so much that the the decorations are up super early, but not early enough for them. The to each his own. Uh, Austin, thank you as always, man. Always great content at the site, and look forward to next week's visit. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. There's Thanks. Austin Price, VolQuest.com. Uh, he and Brent and the entire crew there do fantastic work. Um, coming up, more headlines to hit, uh, including a free agent watch for the NHL that if you're in our listening area, if you're listening to the show right now, it matters uh, for some smaller market teams across the NHL. I'll, I'll explain that. Plus, Paul watched the Yankees-Red Sox uh, game last night. No big surprise that he was watching the game, but he was watching for one specific thing in the batter's box. That's next and now Kick 360. 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Paul, I may be getting my nights confused. Was it last night or the night before? where the Yankees came back and won over Boston after a good pitching outing? Or was there one? Last night they were uh, – They were up big and gave up a lead. And then Devers hit two bombs. Devers has hit six home runs off Garrett Cole. He just owns them. Uh, I always kind of gloss over whenever the announcers are like, "This, this guy's never faced this pitcher. Because I'm also thinking, like, well, this pitcher has clearly never faced this hitter either, right? Yeah. But the the hitters who have great success off guys, you can tell uh, starters that are they are pitching them different than the guy that was just at the plate. He no matter do, who it is, Cole could do nothing. I think what you're talking about. I think the Yanks lost to the Pirates two nothing. Then they came back and beat them sixteen okay. nothing. Okay, with two grand slams. Then they had a grand slam last night. They had three grand slams in two nights. Not so bad. you were you were watching um, the the batter's box specifically last night. Yeah. So for a column, uh, what my intention was, I was going to put a stopwatch on guys stepping out of the box. And you guys know how I hate Velcro. Uh, I was going to downscore guys who yeah. stepped out and played with their Velcro. The the problem is, there's not a, a consistent enough shot of what the guy in the batter's box is doing. And in hindsight, what I should have done is really time the pitcher a time between pitches to get a sense of how much wasted time there is in the game and compared it to the proposed pitch clock, which is probably coming in next year. What I ended up doing is using the, the TV shot as best I could for guys stepping out of the box. So one of my favorite baseball players of all time, one of my top five Yankees, Hideki Matsui, never got out of the box. He just got in the box and stood there. He didn't waggle. He didn't move. He just was a quiet stance, and he stood there. Giancarlo Stanton does that. He, he gets in. He's got a, a stance. He gets in there. He doesn't move. Uh, unless he fouls the ball off, he might move a little bit. He doesn't reset his feet. He doesn't dig. He's very quiet. Um, and I appreciated that. You know, that's, I, I wasn't counting a guy stepping out of the box if he put his back leg out to be out of the box to look for a signal, you know? To reset. Yeah. But I was getting a general sense. Did a guy wander out of the box? Was he taking time? Now, would the pitcher have been ready for him if he was in the box, if he walked out? I don't know. It's a chicken and an egg kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My wish is that they both just would be ready quicker. Um, but I counted up. The Yankees left the box 20 times last night by my count, based on what I could tell from the telecast. And Completely the Red Sox, leaving the box. Well, leaving the box enough that it yeah, would have it prevented some... the game from going ahead if yeah. the pitcher was ready. More than just looking for a sign. And the Red Sox left the box 30 times. Um, so... But I didn't feel like it slowed down the game that much. I don't, the, the pitcher wasn't necessarily ready to go. Would the pitcher have been ready to go if the batter was ready to go? Oh, let me, can I phrase it this way? I don't know. Would it have slowed down the game if this was Yankees and A's and not Yankees and Red Sox for you? I don't, I think yeah, because Boston, I would have been more thing, compelled by this game invested. than that game. Yeah, well, I don't know because I was very intent on watching this game for that. 
and from yeah, that. It was you were doing kind of a homework assignment, watching right. it. Let's put up my work. I, I just just so you can see what I did. We have here's what I did. So that's every batter in the game, and I was not. Yeah, it looks like you know, a, It looks like you're uh, logging the game right. up in the press box. So I was counting. <laughs> you know, z- how many times has this guy left? I would put down the number. I would also put some V's for Velcro incidents. So the worst guy uh, to me. Um, yeah, if I could find uh, the well, one of these guys up top says four times. It looks like. Well, Lemayhew. Uh, is that number at first base, Lemayhew? Well, no. I also put slashes at the end of the inning to keep track of where things were going down. So some of that could be that. So um, really, I thought the worst offender overall, and the biggest slowdown of the game was John Winkowski, the starter in the fourth inning for Boston, walked a couple guys. And he had a base runner obsession and strike zone complaints and a catcher conference. That, to me, was the one thing that slowed down the game the most, a frustrated pitcher who was going through a bad inning. He ultimately got out of it. But that, to me, if I had to pick out what slowed down the game most during the course of the game, was that inning for him. Um, and the, the, the other thing here, I thought... Um, By the way, I think I liked your piece. And it's interesting to see what guys do what in the batter's box. I think pitchers are way more to blame. Yeah, I do too after, for, for after slow watching play. it. There, there are countless times where I'm thinking, is this batter going to call timeout because this pitcher's taking so long to get signals? Nobody called timeout in there? last night. From what I could recall, I, nobody I, I called I very timeout. rarely think, man, I hope that pitcher just throws it in there if he's got one foot in the batter's box. This Boston this guy's catcher, so Kevin Plawecki, who's spent seven years in the minors and has had, he's had many minor league at-bats as he had major league at-bats. He got cut away from a lot. <laughs> Ninth hitter, I don't think they were as interested in his, as showing. He stepped out at least six times. The, the primary guy stepped out eight times. But he was constantly tugging at his gloves. He did the double Velcro after every pitch. I, I'm not kidding when I say they, they have to eliminate that. It's just a, a bad, purposeless habit. And now almost every guy wears uh, a sliding mitten. That um, yes. they're not, they're killing time on the bases, fastening and unfastening the sliding mitten. But again, do we really think the pitcher is going to be ready to throw a pitch in the time that guy's putting a sliding no, mitten on? No, and that's why as I, much I think as it I all love circles around the pitchers taking I way too long. And that's why as much as I love it being an untimed game and a nine inning game, I think you put in the pitching clock and get the guy moving. And then maybe you don't need it later. But here's one thing, and this was my kicker. Dave Stewart was in here, what, inside the last two months talking Mm -hmm. to us. And he said in his day, after the game was over, everybody hung out in the clubhouse together rehashing the whole game, right? And he said it's not like that now. Everybody gets the hell out of there. So I'm thinking if guys want to get home to their families or get out clubbing or whatever it is they do, why aren't they compelled to play fast? Like, why wouldn't you be compelled? Like, Hey, we're going to put in our work, and we're going to play intensive baseball, See, but we're going to play it faster because we want to get the hell out of here. Part of it, though, I think is, you know, at least whenever I'm I, – I, I, over the last two weeks, I've been watching a lot of baseball because of FanDuel. But the, 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 the issue I see is the gamesmanship that goes on with trying to get a pitcher ready in the pen, and that pitcher on the mound deliberately – taking as much time as possible. You have the catcher come out. You have the pitching coach. I didn't say that. That wasn't happening last night. The um, Red Sox used but six a, guys. But that's a way, like, to me, with the visits to the mound, there's a way to get around the pitching clock if, in fact, you're trying to really bog down the game that I just don't think you can get away from. 
based on the way the game is structured. Well, the pitch, I still like, think the it'll... pitch clock for the first five innings is cool, but like the grind really happens between six and nine. And what's the ideal length for a baseball game? Two and a half hours? That's what it was in the 70s. It was about two and a half hours. Last night was three, 3.02 or 3.04. Average this year, according to baseball reference, is 3.07. That's down from 3.11. I don't really mind a three-hour baseball game. It's, well, the, it's that the ones that go the over I mean, the average that ones is, that You mentioned 3.07. That is the like within sixty to one hundred and twenty seconds. That is within range of what the NFL optimum game Three time game. is. That's why the halftime is twelve minutes. That that's why they're kicking off right at twelve oh two central, and they want that game ended by three o'clock. Uh, two forty five is awesome because they can go around to the other finishes and then join the three fifteen or three twenty kickoff central. I'm talking, but three oh seven is perfect for the league. If it's anything over than that, then they're freaking See, out about I, I don't it as an mind average. A, I don't mind a three-hour, seven-minute football game once a week when your teams are playing once a week. Three hours is too long for baseball. Well, I also think this. It's too long in a season of 162 games. Give me better stuff inside the 307, right? And we've talked about all these issues. There are more foul balls than fair balls in an average baseball game now, which is ridiculous. And you get the three true outcomes where it's a strikeout, a walk, or a home run. There's not enough action and i don't know what the solutions to those things are the shift certainly well, hurts i don't know if you mandate also, mandate that or chad i know you're a big proponent of guys just dealing with the shift and i've seen more people do this joey gallo tried to drag bunt against the shift last night and i was like hey he, he got thrown out because he didn't put it in exactly the right spot but he tried to bunt yeah matt olson had one that looked like it was going to be you know a double play type ball that was hit against the shift that was a perfect but if in a three-hour game you give me more action and fewer walks fewer strikeouts it'd be a better product for sure what's what but and i don't disagree with what you guys are saying i just i realize i'm guilty of acknowledging that there's about a 17 minute play window in an NFL game. Yeah, and we love Of a three-hour game. And, and we love that. that's complete, total, nonstop action for me. 17 minutes in an NFL it's game crazy. where they actually have the football in play. But the rhythm of it is what we love. You well, see the, the play. You see the replay. Yes. It's broken down. It's discussed. Then well, you anticipate what's coming next. What are they going to do here? It's, it's yeah, the and there's something about that that the American that. sport and culture, we're perfectly happy with it. But 17 minutes is ridiculous over three hours if you really think about well, it. Well, I mean, if you really want to boil it down, I mean, at Titans Radio, we had, we had four breaks per quarter. I mean, you're taking two and a half minute commercial breaks minimum per quarter um, in w- within the 17 minutes of action, and somehow that they they keep the viewership on that. It's it is, um, and, and part of it is just you know the the it's more of a national brand than Major League Baseball is from a viewing standpoint. Uh, from a if you're if you're regionalizing everything. My guess is you're probably content the way Paul just described it, where it doesn't feel long if you're invested in the team. And I've the also casual been, viewer, I think, is who we're I've speaking to. I've also been to. trained for it, right? I wrote that in the column. I've been trained over the years as it got three minutes longer yeah. this season and four more minutes longer three seasons later. I've been trained for that extra half an hour. I don't know if the NFL has a casual viewer, I guess is what I'm saying. I think, you know, I would maintain you, you can talk to you can talk Arizona Cardinals football and people will listen. 
I don't know if we could sit here and talk Tampa Bay Rays baseball. No, the absolutely same way. not. There's, and, no, there's but, no real passive audience yeah. of, uh, of baseball. You're right. And this is the most intense, intently I've watched a baseball game. Again, I uh, talk about being able to scroll Twitter or read something or flip away. I watched this game. You saw the homework sheet. I yep. watched it very intently because I was looking for something very specific for all nine innings. I haven't watched a game that intently that was a non-Yankees playoff game in, in years. Nor, nor will I, which is fine. I, I, again, interested in the numbers of the batters and what they do stepping out. The pitchers yeah. are the top culprit for slow play constantly. I'm amazed watching Major League games when a guy – that I think is pitching at a normal pace. And the announcers are saying, man, this guy works fast, doesn't he? Wow, look at this guy just working so fast. He gets the ball and he goes right into pitching. I'm thinking, no, everyone else goes too slow. Yeah, those announcers are accomplices. This is, it's 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 Chip Carey who says that. I'm like, man, this guy's working fast. They're saying it complimentary. Like, this is great that he's getting the ball and going to work. So and he's so, been trained But my too, thing by is the they're not quick. Everyone else is slow. He's but been here, trained by the slow. Here's what I think it comes down to. So, you know, there's some rules that we uh, we were talking about the coaches, I think. Um, maybe it was in college football. I can't remember. But I, I said that it just comes down to a sportsmanship angle where you have to – there's a handshake agreement on what you guys have to do because it's very difficult. Oh, it's the faking the injury. Tell you know, coaches telling players to in college down. to fake an injury. It's very difficult to treat a fake injury in real time as a fake injury, um, right? Because you have yeah, to it, it, health concerns, right? You see a guy drop to the ground, you're he thinking might have a this concussion. guy's hurt in, in this day and age of football. Um, I'll use the PGA Tour for instance. Kevin Na is among the most disliked players in golf. You just Google's name and read all the stories because the PGA Tour. The professionals on tour will complain about his slow play. They don't want to be behind. They hate being paired with him because they're waiting on him to hit while they're ready to go. They're ready, waiting on him to putt out, and they're ready to go. And the group behind him the is group, ready yeah, to go. Yeah, he bogs everything down, and he has been, critical, been criticized, and players are critical of his slow play. Maybe it comes down to players calling out other players for their slow play on the mound. Like, I... I, I to me, there's a there just needs to be a unspoken player initiative with it because I don't know if a, a pitch clock helps you in any great. Ex- I don't know if it really it takes all that much and gives it back to the viewer. Well, it's working in the minor leagues. But minor but, league games but are down work, twenty minutes. Down twenty minutes, but I I guess the on average you're saying twenty yeah. minutes. But game to game in the majors, I, I think there's a way to. To really slow play the game, if you wanted to, trick you could, the play you could block, fight right? it if the, you wanted to. You could fight it, but I don't think it'll be fought that often. And, and you could fight it in spots where you want to slow down this inning or this batter or whatever. Yeah, but overall, I yeah. think it would have an effect on the game. I, I think it would have a twenty-minute effect on the game, and I think it'd be good for the game. I think it's a shame that it's gotten there, though. I think, and, and this is my kicker in the column: throw the pitch. If it's not hit, get the ball back and throw it again. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad that we've come to the point where you, where you need that. Guys should just naturally work that fast. And they should want to. Who is the fastest working pitcher in baseball? Do we know? I don't know. It's but that's question. what I sh- – I, maybe I'll revisit it next year and I'll do it that way. And I'll, I'll time Well, Ma- Max Freed, who I love, the Braves ace, is a pretty fast working pitcher for the most part. But I can't really think of guys 
I mean, I feel like everyone I watched in the 90s, you would have to really pinpoint the guys who were really slow. Yeah, they're well, on the mound. Here's another yeah. thing I would say. I, and I wrote this column a while ago uh, looking at Pitching Ninja where I talked about like seeing the pitching highlights nightly of the best stuff in the league. I wonder how anybody hits. Well, if the pitching is so, – and hitting is down, clearly. If the pitching is so good, why are you waiting? I mean, if I, my slider's nasty tonight and I'm doing great, what am I waiting for? I could understand it. I, I see guys laboring out there who are struggling, who are clearly afraid to throw strikes. I can understand why that guy's throwing slow. Right. I can't understand why the technician who is carving people up, this guy who threw for the Braves last night, who was terrific. Strider. Uh, look, I don't Strider. know what his pace is, but if you've got stuff like he's got, I don't know why you'd be waiting. I'd be eager to get up there and throw my next unbelievable pitch that that uh, pitching ninja is going to be featuring, because your stuff is awesome. Get up there and strike people out, make them look like Chad. Fools. Who's the uh, who's the Tennessee pitcher that throws 105? Uh, ben Joyce. Yeah, so Ben Joyce, you can, this is a meme out there where he just stands on the mound in the Staring windup, the guy down. and a, the batter steps out of the box, and he just continues to stay stay on the mound, staring does at the not, catcher. Does not move. Guy gets back in, 104, Pitches. right past him. Like you just, a, he's going to stare him down within and, the game. Yeah, well, I'll I'll give the Cardinals some credit. I'm watching Braves Cardinals last night. First off, their entire bullpen throws 98 plus, which is ridiculous. And they were talking during the game that when Mark Wollers was the closer for the Braves, people would come to the steps of the dugout to watch him pitch warmups because he threw 94, and that was like an oddity in 1993. Deal. You know, when he was the closer for the Braves, he was such a hard throwing guy. He said, now everyone throws 94, yeah. 93, 94. If you don't throw 93, 94, but you're not making everyone it Everyone they the brought up, there was five pitches of 104 from one of their guys. Another guy threw 103. Their entire bullpen is 98-plus. And the good news about those guys is they got two pitches. They're not taking much time. Like, when you get up there, they are, they're coming at you. It's coming 100 miles per hour at you, or there's going to be a slider you know, some breaking ball, that though, but they're not taking much time to think about yeah, it. Yeah, well, you don't have to Which if you're throwing great. 100. Yes. You know? Absolutely. You, it, you're, you're throwing one or two uh, versions of the same pitch. Yeah, they're not throwing a circle change. It, mixing the that other thing about this whole issue is it should be a cautionary tale to everybody in every sport. Spot your issue early. Don't wait 20 years <laughs> while the game grows by a half an hour. Recognize it three years in. And, and, you know, then you could just have a conversation. Hey, guys, guys, game's starting to slow down. Let's play. Let's get back to it's playing bogging, fast. Yeah. Instead of 20 years from now, we're going to have to put in a pitch clock. And our fan base is going to have shrunk because of X, Y, I just and Z. don't – I think the, the national broadcast contracts are not demanding it like the, NFL. like the CBS and ABC and ESPN and NBC, every Fox. They're all wanting these games in a certain amount of time for network programming. And I don't know if these regional networks are demanding it in the same way. Well, I'll tell you, it's a huge difference being at Central Time. I can watch a game from 6 to 9. Yeah. I don't know how I'd be doing from 7 to 10. I feel like the national games, when you get in the playoffs, you know, NLCS, ALCS, World Series, those games are so long. Yes. I almost think they're telling them to make it longer. Like, they have so much inventory they have to roll through for people that have add-ons from the NFL package that they have to throw into the World Series. We know the breaks are longer, but it's almost like they're trying to get more delays in action well, to get more spots in. You know, and to that point, I mean, Fox wanted the USFL games to be two hours and 45 minutes, 
not because they wanted to get to other programming. They wanted to get to, to the, the other game, game or on a double header. So they wanted to get the game that was coming up on the field and ready to go and keep that going as much as it was about keeping things below three hours for a concise football game. So if you're Chad, uh, that's a great point because you, if you don't have a double header for a playoff game and you're trying to milk the series that you have, if it's the NLCS or the ALCS, which are on different networks, it's one game per night and you're trying to keep the audience. If it's a close game, I don't care about the length of a playoff game, presuming it's, it's tight. And yeah. most of the time it's going to be tight, right? But here's bad news, and I'm going to write about this at some point, too. Game one of the World Series is not flexible this year. The playoff schedule is set because of the lockout. Game one of the World Series is Sunday, October 30th, that night, against Green Bay at Buffalo. (laughs) Good luck. And that's exactly why the NFL – Chose that game for that night. Good luck. Good luck. Better get Yankees Dodgers. Even, that, even so, no, no matter it's what, still going to get destroyed. Why not, why not Yankees Braves, Chad? Well, he's not expecting. Braves that. are America's team. <laughs> They've become America's team. Uh, Nashville's team for hockey are the Preds, and they are a team to watch in free agency because of a player that has been here for a decade and a negotiation that is playing out in the public audience now five days before unrestricted free agency begins. Details on that and what we're waiting for as the 13th rolls around for unrestricted free agency in hockey. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Friday edition. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Big thanks to all of our stations. For carrying us live and uh, local throughout your afternoon. And you can find us beyond the show, YouTube, Twitter, and on podcasts, wherever you download your audio. Just search out Outkick360. We hope you'll like, subscribe, rate, review. The whole gambit with us, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 Eastern, 2 to 5 Central. So uh, NHL free agency officially gets going next Wednesday. Wednesday at like... Noon Eastern, I believe, is when the doors will open for unrestricted free agency. And while it's nowhere close to that of the NFL and how we would cover it, for instance, on this show in particular, there is a public negotiation going on that is rare, not just for the NHL, but this market in particular where we sit in Nashville with the Predators, General Manager David Poyle, and their star, Philip Forsberg, who's been with the team for a decade, 10 seasons. He's coming off a career year, and he's the all-time leading scorer in Predators history. And he's an unrestricted free agent, or will be on Wednesday. The, the negotiations have become so public that you can go to NHL.com and see where David Poyle is quoted as saying what the offer is. It's in the eights. The Preds can offer eight years while other teams can only offer seven. 
They're going to include in this offer and have included a no movement clause and a no trade clause. That's the general manager publicly admitting what the offer is, but no offer has been signed. And here they sit trying not to look foolish like the organization did and, and Poyle did whenever Ryan Souter did in many ways the same thing, in some ways not the same thing. But the eighth year is what the Preds are hinging on. They're saying, hey, we're going to give you eight, and we're going to pay you a little over $8 million a year. We can do the math. Even I can do eight times eight is 64. And other teams can offer you seven. And if they're going to give you nine, well, that's going to be 63. So you can come here, make less per year, but make more of the duration of the contract. Very difficult negotiation, though, because... You look at the money, and it seems as though he's going, he's, at least his agent, is betting that he can get more than eight, maybe nine. And if that's the case, and they get nothing in return for Philip Forsberg, and look, they'll go out and sign another free agent on the market. Uh, Marchment from the Panthers, uh, Nachuskin from the Avs is available, Niederreiter, uh, Trocek, and others but they get nothing in return for the guy who would have been traded at the deadline, if not last offseason, knowing that he wasn't going to come back. Because you can get picks and players in return, and you don't get anything for the guy. Locally, the media feels as though he's going to stay. But I say, if this is such an easy layup negotiation that's now public, and we know what the Preds are offering, and we know what Forsberg hasn't accepted, what's the holdup here? Yeah, if it's such an easy done. negotiation. They, they both, too. I haven't heard the comments. I've just read the comments from David Poyle, the GM, and, and from him. They both sound so milquetoast. Yeah, you know, we're working on it. We want it to get done. And it just well, sounds so, yeah, but it just it sounds. That's the, that's the sport, my friend. There's no and, and, and let me, the, punch or pizzazz. Well, I'll say, like, so people, we don't know what it is. Somewhere between eight and nine. It's in the eights. Well, if it's 8.3... And 8.6 gets the deal done. Go. Why do you wait this well, long to get it done? Uh, that's why I think it's going to get done. And Elliot Friedman's been one reporting, and clearly he is getting reports and info from Forsberg's agent. Mm -hmm. Because he framed one thing he said in saying, if they come up, then they'll get this, talking about either side of it. And he was saying where he was hearing that. So I... If it's 8.2, that's the offer from the Preds, and they want 8.8, .8, both sides could go up $300,000. Meet, yeah. At 8.5, and I think this would be done. But, but this I is, just don't see this deal not getting done over both sides going up well, and down $300,000 to meet in the well, middle of that, I, and especially considering the Preds have the eighth year they can offer. Deadlines make deals, so maybe well, it's as simple as that. Deadlines make deals, but, but this is also... Uh, peculiar because in, in the NHL specifically, you trade guys at the deadline who you feel you're not going to be able to resign. They, they yeah. took a big chance. Yeah, they definitely they thought they were getting him back. And, and no assurances that that was going to be the case. He wants the no trade clause. He wants the no movement clause. He's, he's getting it, according to David Poyle. And from, from the team objective and perspective, I'm not squabbling over $300,000 per season if that means I don't have to now publicly negotiate this with five days to go. It's a very odd yeah, way that this has turned over the last two weeks when they've had over a year to figure this out. 
And if they come up empty-handed, they're, they're going to get crucified, and I think deservingly so. I mean, I, I just feel like if if you end up go raising the bar and giving them more, Forsberg and his agent have out-negotiated and outplayed everything because they leaked this, and now Poyle is commenting on it, and the offer is either going to rise or he's going to go to unrestricted free agency and you're likely losing him because there will be another team that throws in more money over seven years, not eight. But again, it, maybe not in total contract value. Does he make the same amount of money? But per year, he can make more How on the open market. Uh, what, in his 30s? Early 30s? He's been with the team for... He's been with the team for... 10 years. Yeah, then it, probably 32, I'd guess. 31, 32. 27. Oh, he's only 27? Yeah. That, um, that, that makes a difference well, but, to me. But teams, but teams right now are signing guys who are 35 to big money contracts in the league. So um, here's Forsberg. And again, I don't, I don't think he's worth $9 million a year. I said this last summer. I would give him – he was making six. I would give him a considerable bump and say, here's our offer. Are you in or are you out? You'd like a, a nice year. contract year performance. And I would say, um, here's our offer. If not, we're going to trade you. And we're going to deal you to a team and get something for you in return. You would have done it during the season. Right. Or, yeah, or, at the deadline. Yeah, at the trade deadline. Because they weren't going anywhere. That. Big deal. They made the playoffs and they got whipped by Colorado. Yeah, but it is something to watch because it's we've seen this play out with a different storyline a little over a decade ago. And that the storm good. that that caused versus what this will be will be fascinating to watch. Enjoy the weekend. Join us Monday for Outkick 360 right here across the Outkick Network. Don't block the box. Do lock your locks. Remember Brittany Griner.